It's 12.07. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As we always do, we put the first couple segments of the program up on the stream, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can check it out and participate in that fashion. So how did you spend last night? Well, I, I, I'm, let me, this, this is, this is how a political junkie spends the midterm election nights. I went to the Marquette game. I was, uh, it was the opening night. I mean, they had an exhibition game last week, but it was the first regular season game at Fiserv Forum. I had never attended. This is the first event I had attended at Fiserv Forum. I, I was in there before it opened up to kind of take a little tour and participate in something. But it's the first ball game I said, and I, I have to tell you, I was just, absolutely blown away by that facility the concourses are are wide um they do a great job of handling crowds you've got a lot of additional places where you can buy food or drinks nice bathrooms they've got an area up on the third level what do they call it the panorama club that is open for everybody you don't have to pay a special membership you can just walk up there they've got a balcony you can go out there's spectacular views of the city um, my wife and i just had a, a really 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 good time watching the ball game and i can't wait to go back to the next one also just great sight lines i mean for basketball, just a tremendous place to watch a game. Now, part of the problem, though, last night was, as my wife kept nudging me, I, I was only half paying attention to the ball game because I, I'm watching the election results on, on my cell phone, and I keep refreshing, refreshing, and refreshing, and I, I'm watching this this close race that would swing. It, it seemed to me at one point in time, Tony Evers was ahead by 30,000 votes, and then over the course of the evening, that that advantage disappeared, and then Scott Walker was ahead, and then Evers was ahead, and then ultimately it, it's going back and forth, and somebody's ahead by 50 or 75 votes, and somebody else ahead by 50 or 75 votes. And then, then interestingly enough, I don't know, was it around 11 o'clock or so, there are reports that the city of Milwaukee has been sitting on 38 or 40 or 45,000 absentee and early ballots that they haven't put into machines and then they say well we're we're going to put them on a flash drive and we'll deliver them and we'll we'll dump them over and of course that that once you hear that it, it tells you that well in this case it was what about a 30,000 vote swing for Tony Evers which which made the difference in the election but i i remember sitting there thinking how could this happen I and mean, again, I'm not questioning that they were legitimate ballots, but you know, if you want to talk about integrity of elections, what is the city of Milwaukee doing sitting on tens of thousands of ballots? They've already reported that 100% of the precincts are in, and it's only after pretty much all the other ballots are filed in the state that then we suddenly, oh, by the way, we're sitting on 35 or 40 or 45,000 votes that we're now going to dump into the system. Now, I understand it, it wouldn't have changed the dynamic, but it would have certainly made the election results look different earlier on. Candidly, there is absolutely no excuse for this to happen. And I'm not saying it costs Walker the election. Uh, I mean, the votes are what the votes are. But it shows that you've got a city of Milwaukee, the election commission, that is incapable of, again, getting its act together. And, and we've, we've had this in other places as well. Waukesha has been screwed up in previous elections as well. But this is apparently the second time in a row that the city of Milwaukee has done one of these sort of ballot dumps by not being able to get the votes processed in what I would describe as a timely fashion. Um, other counties don't have this problem, 
They're able to get the votes registered, you know, during the course of the day when the polls are open instead of this, gee, Let's wait until the end. Now, again, I'm not arguing this this would have changed the election, but it would have certainly changed election night. And it came as a big surprise, I think, to a lot of people that, again, the city of Milwaukee is sitting on tens of thousands of ballots that they're suddenly going to dump into the system at the end. And if you want to talk about the idea of integrity of the system. I, I'm, I was talking to people last night who were saying, wait, is, is this like, you know, the, the old Lyndon Johnson elections where you, you wait to find out how many votes you need and then all of a sudden at the end those votes come in? Now, I don't believe that happened. I, 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 I'm sure those votes were there. But the fact that you wait until after the polls are closed to dump those in, I think is bad in the extreme. And this is, I believe, the second time in a row this has happened in Milwaukee. And I think the challenge here is you need to get your act together. Would it have changed the election? No, it it wouldn't have. But it would have certainly changed the experience from watching election night when all of a sudden there is this surprise, huge, you know, um, treasure trove of Democrat ballots that come pouring in after midnight. Just saying, Maybe that's something that they want to look at to try to, again, if you're concerned with integrity and the way and transparency and the way things uh, appear, maybe you want to try to figure out how to get those things counted and recorded, I don't know, earlier on in the day. Other clerk's offices are able to do that. Is that too much to expect from Milwaukee? Just saying. All right. Let's let's not bury the lead. Let's start with the big story of the day. In many respects, as I predicted, it was status quo in Wisconsin as far as control of the state assembly, still overwhelmingly controlled by Republicans, control of the Wisconsin State Senate. Matter of fact, uh, Republicans extended their control. It's now 1914 in the state Senate. All all the sitting congressmen or women were reelected, so there was no change there. Paul Ryan's seat was held by Republicans. Glenn Grothman, who I think initially thought he was going to get a strong challenge, he ended up winning comfortably. Five Republican congressmen, three Democrat congressmen, no change. Tammy Baldwin coasts to re-election as well. But the big story, of course, in Wisconsin, the one major flip was in an extremely close race that, again, was not quite as close at the end because of the sudden late last-minute ballot dump by the city of Milwaukee. But Tony Evers ekes out a win, and I, you know, all, all you need is 50 plus one, you know, 50% of the vote plus one, but he wins by, you know, what's going to turn out to be a margin of somewhere around 20,000 votes, I would guess, at, at the end of the day, but he ends up winning. And so you are going to have a, a change of power in the governor's office. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. This is the end of the Scott Walker era. There's no question about it. They're talking about a recount or whatever. But, you know, the bottom line is there's so many votes that are out there. It's not like it's 500 or 1,000. You know, you're talking about thousands of, of votes, and it appears that the people have spoken. So here's my question. What happened? Why did Governor Walker lose his reelection bid? And how do you feel about this? Are you dancing in the streets or are you just shaking your head going, man, I don't understand what happened in Wisconsin? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And essentially, it's not what happened in, in Wisconsin necessarily. Scott Walker lost because the Democrat majorities in Milwaukee and in particular Dane County came out, voted overwhelmingly against him. 
and he racked up huge margins in most of the rest of the state, but not as large as he had done in the past. 414-799-1620, what happened and how do you feel about it the morning after? It's one. It's 115-1215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, we're live streaming the segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Scott Walker goes down to defeat a close race, but he ends up losing. So what ended up happening? Stephen Caledonia texts, Jeff, I feel like somebody smacked me upside the head. I can't figure it out. Well, I, I, here, here's what happened. Walker, Governor Walker has always been polarizing. There, there's no question uh, about it. I don't know that there's anybody out there who, who voted for Tony Evers. What you saw yesterday was a vote against Governor Walker. He's always had the people who are upset about Act 10, don't like the fact that he's a Republican, et cetera, et cetera. And there's always been those people that go out and vote against him. In the other elections, he was able to do well enough. Not enough of those people came out, and he was able to do well enough in the areas where he was strong to overcome that. That dynamic changed yesterday. Huge turnout in Dane County, almost all of which was a Democrat vote. Good-sized turnout in Milwaukee County, almost all of which was a Democratic vote. And, again, Walker's percentages, and the numbers will come out soon, but, you know, if if he was used to getting 68% in Waukesha and he gets 66%, there was a slight decrease in the Walker vote across the country and that across the state. And that was enough to make the difference given the huge turnout you had in Madison and Milwaukee. That's pretty much the numbers. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Roger in Greenfield. Hi, Roger. Hi. What do you think? How do you feel today? Um, I was a little stunned. I, I thought that he could have did a better job in the Milwaukee area. He didn't get his message across. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's, 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 uh, it's always been, you know, a blue area. And I just think he just didn't come out with a strong enough message. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, uh, again, th- there were a lot of headwinds here. I, I think, you know, some people are going to attribute the loss to, um, you know, President Trump and the fact that there yeah. might be some fatigue. I, I don't know, other than the fact that I think some people were motivated. I talked to a lady yesterday who, who said she voted against Walker because she wanted to send a message to President Trump. And I, I kind of asked what, what was that message and do you think President Trump was going to be listening? But it doesn't matter. That's kind of what the thought process was. So you were surprised yeah. at the results. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was a little surprised. No, yeah. th- no thanks. For, well, I, I, I mean, I was too. I thought it was going to be close. But at the end of the day, I mean, when you go back and you look at these numbers, this this was a statewide election that was carried by Milwaukee and and Madison. The turnout was huge, and the the numbers, the proportion, the split was enormous. And Governor Walker, if you look at the map, I mean, seventy to seventy five percent of the counties. I don't know how many counties is going to come out that Evers won sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, somewhere in there. You know, two thirds. Three-fourths of the counties, you know, ended up being Republican. But what happened was the margins that he used to rack up, he, he did slightly less well in a many of these key areas. And that difference, coupled with the huge turnout in Milwaukee and Madison, was too much to overcome. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I was a little surprised. I'm obviously extremely disappointed, um, you know, because I certainly didn't want to go back to the Jim Doyle days. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think what was really surprising to me was 
the percentage out of Dane County. I mean, that's just like off the charts, like video game, right? Uh, overwhelming. And I do think uh, I was a little surprised in Ozaki County, where I live in Mequon, uh, that it was a little bit softer yeah. uh, than usual. And I think it's imperative that also the northwest part of the state get more acclimated to people with a conservative view because that part of the state really doesn't really hear anything as far as conservative uh, talking right. points. And I think that that is a, you know, that's why you see so much of a swing in that part of the state because there really isn't, um, you know, a conservative voice out there to advocate their ideas. And right. Well, I, I, thanks to God. Maybe we should maybe be talking about talking to my boss about maybe seeing if we can kind of kind of extend this message throughout the rest of the state. Pick up a couple more radio stations or something. That's the last thing he wants to hear from me. Um, but but I, I do think you're you're on to something, David. That again, there there was a slight softening of the numbers. He did well in Ozaki County. He did well in Brown County. He did well in the Fox Valley where he's done before. He did well in Washington and Waukesha counties. But, but not well enough to overcome the huge numbers in Milwaukee and, and Dane County. And again, I don't, I don't believe that this was a vote. Gee, we love Tony Evers. What it was was it was the, the anti-Walker folks who've always been out there, 46, 47% of the electorate, bolstered by the we hate Donald Trump and we're going to run out and we're going to vote. I also think that one of the reasons for you, you do have kind of Walker fatigue in a way. Sometimes you know, it's just people people kind of get burned out with this. And he'd been the governor for eight years. And I mean, I know I, I, I was kind of frustrated because I've talked to people about this over the course of the last several months. If you're a regular listener, you've heard this. And people would say, well, I voted for Governor Walker the last couple times, but I'm not going to vote for him this time because... I really wanted there to be a casino in Kenosha. And I'd say, well, okay, why do you really think that's Governor Walker's fault? Well, he didn't push hard enough to get it. And I would say, well, you realize that, for example, the the deal that Jim Doyle signed with the Potawatomi makes it almost impossible legally to have done that. We would have been in a lawsuit for five or ten years. The state would have probably lost. I don't care. I wanted the casino in Kenosha. And, and that's I think that's just one of the things that happens when you're in office for a long time, particularly as the governor. So, you know, you're, you're going to irritate people from time to time. 414-799-1620. What do you think happened let's talk to larry in kenosha larry or wtmj good afternoon i'm going to tell you why i voted for tony evers okay now let me ask you had you voted for walker before or you always, had you always voted against him i would i i voted against him but okay this is, this, okay this, this is why i voted for tony evers he had a plan maybe he didn't like it and i know he still got to get it through the legislature to increase the gas tax okay it and if it would have raised it a dime, it was about $2 a week for me. Uh, it, to me, to me, and being a fiscal conservative, because I voted for Rat Schimmel, but being a fiscal conservative, I dislike borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. He's borrowed over a billion dollars for roads since he's been in, in office. Okay, so that was the primary issue that caused you to vote against him this time, that, that you wanted, you would have liked to have seen an increase in taxes to pay for road improvements. And, you know, he said, well, I'm not going to increase the gas tax until we have corresponding cuts in other taxes. Well, taxes were cut. Why, haven't, why didn't he say at that time, I'm going to lower these taxes, but I'm going to raise the gas tax by a dime. Okay, got it. Thanks for calling, Larry. And I mean, I th- that's I mean, you you had 
mean, you did have a concentrated campaign by special interest groups, some of these road builder groups who who wanted even more spending than we already have. And we, you know, we, we have put in billions of dollars over the last eight years to improving roads, but some of these road builders, they want more and more money. And they ran some of those ads and they had that campaign and they said, here, you know, Scott Walker is responsible for these potholes. It will be interesting to see where we go now because will people really support massive tax increases? And again, I think you raise an interesting point. I'm not sure the Republican legislature is going to go along with it, but will Tony Evers now come out and say, okay, I want to have a massive gas tax increase. We have jammed phone lines on this, and we're going to continue this segment um, because this is obviously the story that everybody's talking about. 414-799-1620. What happened, and how do you feel today the day after, knowing that Scott Walker, who's been the governor for the last two terms, who has, I think, you know, been through thick and thin in this state, now um, the Walker administration, the Walker years, appears to be coming to an end. 414-799-1620. We are live streaming Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and we will continue doing that as well. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So what happened in the Walker Evers race, John and Delafield. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Hi. I, I think it was very simple. I, I talked to friends of mine in Delafield who are both Republican and Independents, and they did not forget that Walker stepped away from being a governor for a full year to run mm. a Don Quixote campaign for presidency. They, they they don't forget that. And when you looked at the Marquette polls after that, Walker's approval had dropped yep. to historic lows. Because of that, Republicans are saying we this is ridiculous. Yeah, so he, I, I I really think that I mean in in the and I've got you know I mean it's very conservative out in Delafield, but a lot of people said they were not voting for him. They said he's a career politician. 1993, he's been in office. You know, he ran away from the state for a year. That did it for a lot of people. Otherwise, I think he would have made it if he hadn't run for president. Yeah, I well I think. I think you're on to something. There's no question that that year that he ended up running for president, um, he wasn't around to, you know, sell his budget proposals and things like that. And I think he did for a while take his eye, the eye off his eye off the ball. And then when the presidential thing doesn't work out, you know, you're right. If you looked at a lot of the polling, um, he his approval rating had dropped You know, he, he was underwater for a while. He came back. But I think I do think you're right. It, it hurt him. And again, we're talking about such a small margin of victory for Tony Evers that if you if you lose. 2,000 people in a county or something like that, or they switch their votes, that, that's where the election is. And, and Scott Walker always had small margins. And the, the run for president, the ill-fated run for president, clearly did not help him. I think you're right. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I mean, it's, I, you know, he was able to come back from, from all that. And, and again, this, you, you do have the, the anti-Trump movement which energized a whole bunch of voters, particularly in, in Dane County. I mean, once you look at these final numbers for Dane County and how they broke for, you know, for Evers, it's gonna, it's absolutely staggering. I mean, it's just absolutely staggering. You did have this huge monolithic vote, but yeah, I, I do think you can't deny that the run for president, it, it, it took him off his game for a while and he's kind of been playing catch up since then. 414-799-1620. Connie in Heartland. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I think there are two reasons why people um, elected Tony Evers. The first reason is that 
during the first seven years of the Walker administration, um, we had $800 million taken away from education. And all of a sudden, in the eighth year of his administration, every school district gets $200 per child. Mm -hmm. I think the second reason for what happened last night is that you don't jump on the bandwagon to sue about the Affordable Care Act and then advertise that you are going to protect people who have pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. That's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Well, I I, I agree with you and disagree with you. I, I agree with you, Connie, that I, I think Governor Walker and a lot of Republicans got thrown off message by this whole pre-existing condition thing. They didn't they didn't respond quickly enough. They didn't respond well enough. And I, I, I think you're right. See, I, I, what, what they were going to do is I, I don't think this means we have to be tied to Obamacare, but you're right. If you're going to talk about, you know, replacing Obamacare and, you know, or doing away with it, you have to come out and clearly state, don't worry. We're committed to preserving pre-existing conditions and this is how we're going to do it. And they didn't even do a very though, good job of that. Even though we, jumped on the bandwagon to sue over the Affordable Care Act. Right. Well, no, I mean, and I understand. See, I don't, I think that you can, you can replace the Affordable Care Act and still preserve pre-existing condition coverage. I mean, it's it's not to me mutually exclusive, but I, I agree that I think Republicans in general, and I think Governor Walker maybe in particular, they, they did not do a good enough job of saying, all right, we, we think Obamacare, we think the Affordable Care Act is bad because of this and this and this, and people can't keep their doctors, and the number of choices have gone down, and costs are going through the roof, so we want to replace it. But that element that preserves coverage for pre-existing condition, we're all in on that, and this is how we're going to do it. Look, in, in Wisconsin, for example, before the Affordable Care Act, you had coverage for pre-existing conditions. You could do it through Badger Care or the high-risk pools that they had. But I, I concede Republicans did a lousy job in general of communicating that they, they if somebody's got cancer and loses their job, they're not going to be without insurance coverage. 414-799-1620. Tom in West Bend. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking a call. I appreciate it. So what happened? Well, yeah, I, I voted for Walker. Um, I told your screener that I'm I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed. And I think uh, part of your, your comments you made earlier, and even the Marquette students, I think the Democrats, Democrats did a much better job of appealing to the emotions mm-hmm. of the voters. Plain and simple. People get emotional about health care. They get emotional about taxes. They get emotional about potholes in the road right. and they hit that and they hit that cord. Right. Um, and, and you lost that emotional vote. You could have Wisconsin economy is doing very well. Um, that's boring to many people, but talk about taking away health care, And that's what people's right. emotions focus on. Right. And, and you, and, and especially when you're always dealing with these razor thin margins, like governor Walker had, you know, if you, particularly you target, you say, okay, we're going to try to do better in Milwaukee. We're going to try to do a lot better in Dane County. And then you get those people that are motivated. And and again, I mean, this election really razor close, you know, 10,000 people vote the other way and it's a whole different dynamic. No, I I mean, I think, I mean, this was, it's all about turnout. And I think in this particular case, in the governor's race, 
Credit where credit is due. Democrats did a better job of turning out their voters than the Republicans did. And that's something that hasn't been true at the state level for quite a while. Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, I, my personal experience, I was out canvassing for the Democratic mm-hmm. Party, and we would intentionally go into red areas to make sure that those voters that we knew that were probably going to go our way knew that they weren't alone, that they were part of something bigger going on in Milwaukee and Madison. Just like you said when you did the county-by-county right. assessment, uh, those margins, you just had to tip away a little bit at them, right. and then you knew that something was coming in those cities. Right. So you think it was, you think this was a, a credit to the, the turnout efforts and the voter targeting thing to again swing a, a, a few votes here or there and it adds up statewide. And it was an intentional change in tactics to do direct face to face handshakes with people. Um, I, I don't know the numbers, but I believe the amount of doors that were not were staggering. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I, thanks for calling Matt. And I think that's, I think that's, I think that's what it's going to be when you ultimately look at it. Again, we, I, it's, it's a cliche because every election we, we sit here and we talk about, you know, you turn out for this or turn out for that. And the truth of the matter is for the first couple elections, particularly the recall election and then the reelection effort in 2014, Governor Walker was a master at turnout. He, he just, he just was the Republican turnout machine and 2010 as well. First election as well. The Republican turnout machine was just second to none. I think I would put it up against any turnout efforts anywhere in the country. And I say that, I say that understanding the significance. This year, you couple what you're talking about, Matt, the, the, extra effort that Democrats put in, understanding that maybe in 2016 they took stuff for granted and Donald Trump ends up winning Wisconsin, you couple that with the the hashtag resistance stuff and the people who want to send a message to Donald Trump by voting against any Republican and a little bit of Walker fatigue. Again, you win Waukesha, I don't, I have, I don't have the numbers in front of me, you win Waukesha County with 60 5% instead of 68% or whatever the number is. It's that little drop off compared with, you know, a little bit higher increase in Democrat turnout in Milwaukee and Dane County. And, and you have, you know, a margin of 20,000 votes with over, you know, 2.2 million cast. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Matt in Brookfield. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, uh, Jeff. Three things. Uh, first, the presidential run diminished Walker's stature because he had to mix it up with Donald Trump. Yep. yep. And it forced him to take positions which perhaps weren't beneficial to the state as a whole, particularly the Medicaid denial. Compare that to what happened in Ohio, where John Kasich took the money and bathed himself in praise for doing it, but his Hansen successor won pretty easily as governor. Right. Right. Uh, two, Walker's campaign, similar to what happened on the national level, didn't focus on the great economic news in both the country and the state. Yep. Earlier this year, everybody in the state got a $1,000 tax rebate. Right. Where was that mentioned during the last weeks of the campaign? Mm-hmm. 
No, I, 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 you know, I mean, historically, it's always been the economy stupid, but I think Republicans got, and starting with the governor, got thrown off message, and you're playing defense on the whole health care issue and things like that, whereas they should have been touting in a meaningful fashion, hey, look what we've done with taxes. You've got more money back. Look at where the economy is. That should be the thing. And I don't know that that message ever broke through. Maybe people weren't listening, though, too, Matt. I don't know. And the last time it was, it, it, it blockers defeat. People seem to be overlooking that the, the tremendous results the Republicans got in the, both the Assembly and the Senate. Um, yeah, right. Well, yeah, I mean, no, thank I mean, again, and that's... This, this again, if anybody running statewide needs to have this emphasized more, I mean, you just look at last night's election results. As I was saying earlier, if, if you look at the statewide map, you're going to see that Governor Walker won, what are those, 72 counties in Wisconsin, you know, um, Evers won 16, 17, 18, some, somewhere in that number. I'd have to do the exact count. So, you know, two-thirds or more of, of the counties vote Republican. That that's that's that is why that is why Republicans have overwhelming control of the state Senate and of the assembly, because the Democrat vote is concentrated in a couple areas of the state. But it is an overwhelming vote. It's just overwhelming. That is the dynamic that is out there. So you you have to recognize when there is a huge turnout in Madison, Dane County, and in Milwaukee County, and there wasn't there, there was a good sized turnout in Milwaukee County, it still wasn't huge. But when it, it is overwhelmingly Democrat as those votes are, you're gonna have to make that up in the lower population centers, which means you've got to run up these huge margins. Scott Walker was great about running up huge margins in the Fox Valley and other parts of the state. Last night, he, he run up, ran up winning margins, but they weren't big enough. So, I mean, this is the lesson for statewide elections, that if the Democrat Democrats are able to motivate and turn out voters in big numbers in Dane County and Madison and in Milwaukee, it's, it's going to be a tough slog, slog for Republicans unless they're able to deliver big time. Walker had been historically... Not able to do it now. It's 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, if you want to watch the Facebook Live segment, that's up, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Also, I always remind people about the podcast. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile app page. I know every month thousands of you listen to this program on the podcast, and I very much appreciate it. If, if just let me, let me give you the numbers. Just so you understand the significance of, of what, ha- what happened in Dane County and Milwaukee County mean in the election. In the total uh, election yesterday for governor, about 2.6 million votes cast. All right. And Scott Walker lost by 30, approximately 30,000 votes, 31,000 actually. But let's, let's say 30,000 votes out of 2.6 million votes cast. Dane County. 220,000 votes for Evers, 69,000 votes for Walker. He lost Dane County by 120 and 40, 160,000 votes. He lost statewide by 30,000. He lost Dane County by 160,000 votes. Then you add in Milwaukee, 263,000 votes for Evers, 124,000 for Walker. That difference is about 140,000. So 140,000 in Milwaukee 
and what was the number in Dane County? 140,000 in Milwaukee and 170,000-ish in Dane County. That, that's in a 30,000 30, race thing. I mean, he overwhelmingly won the rest of the state, but he lost Dane County and he lost Milwaukee County, particularly Dane County, by such big numbers that that's what swung the election. And, you know, if if you ever if you really wondered whether this is two states, these are the numbers that show that. I mean, in this case, Dane County came through and Milwaukee County came through in other elections. They haven't. But that's just kind of the dynamic. Here's the other interesting thing. And I, I will I will say this. It appears that Brad Schimmel, Republican attorney general candidate, has has lost. Um, and I, I'm disappointed by that because I've known Brad Schimmel since he started off as in the Waukesha DA's office, and I, I think he's a great person. And I think he did a really, really good job. This, to me, isn't a repudiation of him. It's simply the fact that there's almost no ticket splitting going on. And here's here's the I mean that by that I mean people that ran out and voted for Tony Evers went ahead and they voted for Josh Call. People that voted for Scott Walker voted for Brad Schimmel, and in this case, Evers had more votes, so he ended up winning. But here's one of the interesting things that I look when I look at the numbers, and I'm kind of a do the math guy. Typically, there is ballot fatigue. By that, I mean that the race at the top of the ballot. Typically, most people voted for that, and then as you start to work down the ballot, fewer and fewer people vote. So historically, for example, fewer people, you know, you might start and you vote for Senate and then you go to governor, then you go to attorney general. There's almost always going to be statistically a lot fewer votes for attorney general than there are for governor. And that didn't happen here Um, for governor. Like I say, a little bit, let's see, uh, two point uh, like two point six million cast for governor. Right. Two point. Right. Two point six million cast for governor. For attorney general, almost the same number, almost 2.6 million. Almost everybody that voted in the governor's race voted for attorney general. That almost never happens. And actually, um, the number of votes cast for Senate, it, it's almost the same. The number of people who voted for Senate are almost identical to the people who voted for governor, are almost identical to the people who voted for attorney general. There was really no sort of ballot fatigue, which tells me that you know a lot of people just came out and, and they were – they were voting up and down, and my guess is, while there was some ticket splitting with Leah, with uh, Tammy Baldwin and Scott Walker, perhaps not as much as not as much as people expected. And it's just, uh, again, it's one of these interesting phenomena. And I trace that to again the fact that you had motivated Democrats who came out and they were trying to send a message, whatever that message would be may be directed at, at President Trump, but that's just kind of the dynamic. All right, when we come back, I want to switch to the national election. The truth of the matter is, we were hearing all this talk about a blue wave. It didn't happen, and we'll discuss that in just a couple minutes. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. But right before we move away from the governor's race, one of our listeners asked a very interesting question. I, I, I was talking about just the huge numbers of, of votes 
in Milwaukee County and in particular in Dane County and, and the huge percentage, I mean, just overwhelmingly for Democrat Tony Evers in the governor's race. And, and that was the difference. Like I say, I mean, Walker wins the rest of the state by hundreds of thousands of votes, but you can't overcome the huge margin in Milwaukee and Dane County. So the question was, what are the comparative numbers? How did Tammy Baldwin do in Dane and Milwaukee County versus Tony Evers? And it's interesting. Baldwin had a, I'm, I'm kind of rounding around here, but 228,000 votes in Dane County. Evers had 220,000. So essentially almost no ticket splitting, you know, almost no ticket splitting. Same thing true to a slightly lesser extent in Milwaukee County. Uh, Baldwin had 281,000. Evers had 263,000 votes. So a, a little bit of a drop off, but, but not much. But essentially the people that came out in Milwaukee County and in Dane County who voted they came out, they were they were going to vote for the Democrat candidates, and they were going to vote for the Democrat candidates up and down the ballot, which I think is what led to the defeat of uh, Brad Schimmel as well. All right, I want to switch gears, and I want to talk about the, the federal position. For months and months and months, ad nauseum, if you turned on one of the talking head shows, you would hear this talk about the, the blue wave. This is going to be the year that the Democrats, the resistance to Donald Trump rises up and it just sweeps Democrats into office. Remember, and you, you trust me, I, I don't know if you read the New York Times or the Washington Post. I do, so you don't have to. But it, it seemed to me like every second article on politics was in there. This is going to be a record year for Democrats. People are upset with Donald Trump. Boom, they're going to take it out. It's going to be a bloodbath for Republicans. And the truth is... That did not happen. There was not a, a blue wave. Matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet on this. You can follow me. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620, and I know a number of people do that as well. But, you know, one of the big takeaways from last night is there wasn't a blue wave. What there really was was pretty much a typical um, mid-year election. Historically, the party in power loses seats historically that that is not an uncommon thing and last night it appears and the final numbers are going to be coming out soon but it appears that the republicans i mean they lost control of the house of representatives they lost 30 some seats that that is a typical number for what happens to the party that is in power typically in the first midterm election. That That is a normal sort of thing. Now, I understand that means Nancy Pelosi gets to be the Speaker of the House and all those sorts of things, and it's if you're a conservative or Republican, it's not a good thing, but it, it's not this sort of a no, extremely abnormal repudiation of, of President Trump. It, it's just, it's a statistically, statistically, it's a typical midterm election. What's not typical in midterm elections is the fact that Republicans actually picked up, it looks to me like they're going to pick up three Senate seats, so it's going to be 54-46. Right now they got 51. I, if, if everything develops the way it looks like it's going to develop, it, it's going to be 54. I guess it's possible it could be 53, but my guess is it's going to be 54. They picked up three Senate seats. I'm not sure there has ever in our history been a midterm election where the party in power lost seats in the House and picked up seats in the Senate. It's, and, and I, again, I, I bring this up 
only from the perspective of for everybody who said that there was going to be this blue wave and this huge repudiation of Donald Trump. It, it didn't happen. Let me give you some historical perspective, and actually it, it's recent history. If you want to talk about a wave election, go back to 2010. This was the, the first midterm after President Obama had been elected in 2008. Republicans, Republicans picked up dot, 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 65, 65 seats in the, the House of Representatives. 65 seats in the, the House of Representatives, um, and they picked up six seats in the U.S. Senate. Uh, now, I mean, contrast that with last night, Republicans lost 30, I think it's going to be 33, maybe it's 35 or whatever, a lot fewer than the 63 or 65 they gained in 2010. 2010 was a classic wave election. Last night, Republicans picked up three seats. Democrats lost six seats in 2010. So I bring this up only because people were saying there's this huge blue wave and it's going to be this repudiation of Donald Trump. It, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. It didn't turn out that way. Rather, it turned out again to be sort of your, your typical, your typical midterm election, except that the Republicans were able to expand their Senate majority, which is something that is important over the next two years, because now you pretty much guarantee there's going to be gridlock. You're going to get nothing coming through the House of Representatives that's going to be agreed on upon in the Senate. The one interesting dynamic of the Senate picking up Republican seats is if there is another vacancy on the Supreme Court or as President Trump continues to push his nominees for the federal bench, what you're seeing now is there's more of a working margin in the U.S. Senate. Right now, it was down to 51 U.S. senators who are Republicans, which means if all the Democrats vote as a block, as they almost always do, you're in a situation where you really you couldn't afford to lose more than, than one Republican vote and still get it through. Now, with 54, if that ends up being the final number, and I believe it will be, with 54 Republicans, you've just got at least a, a little bit of wiggle room here. You can you know, lose Susan Collins from Maine, or you can lose Senator Murkowski from, uh, from Alaska. You, you can lose a vote here. You can lose Rand Paul. Um, and, and still, you can get you know your the, the candidate confirmed. There's enough in the Senate that you have a little wiggle room, which I think is significant. But other than that, it doesn't look to me like we're going to be accomplishing much over the la- over the next couple years, other than controversy with investigations and things like that. But the 2020 presidential election essentially starts today. And President Trump had kind of this amazing news conference. We carried a, a good portion of it where very sort of antagonistic, but he came out and he he claimed victory, you know, last night, citing at least in his own way some of the numbers that I was talking about. Now, at the same time, it seems to me it's kind of tough to claim victory when you, you've lost control of the House of Representatives. But nevertheless, again, by historical standards, it's clear that Republicans outperformed the way political parties typically do in the midterm elections when you are the party in power. But now people are starting to look towards 2020. So here is what I want to discuss with you next. All right. Is President Trump, given everything that happened yesterday and what we've seen, does President Trump have any chance at all of being reelected? He's amassed an incredibly large campaign fund. 
He's taking a victory lap saying, hey, the candidates that I campaigned for, they ended up winning. Is is he positioned well for a re-election run or is is 2020 going to be maybe what a lot of people thought 2018 would be a total repudiation of Trump and a complete rejection of the Republican Party? How is President Trump sitting now looking for 2020? Do you want to see him run again? And if he runs again, do you realistically think he can win? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. The blue wave did not materialize. What does that mean for Donald Trump moving forward? Let's start with David and Raymond. Hi, David. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, Yeah, I don't think that, unfortunately, fundamentals have changed. Um, you know, Clinton got the majority of the popular vote, but the president becomes a president based on the Electoral College, and the reality is still the number of states that are red, if you will, with the electoral votes, um, would, would probably take him over, you know, over the top because the concentration of Democrats in a few number of states, um, is, is not helpful to the Democratic cause. If you took a couple million Californians, move them into Florida, he'd, yeah, he'd lose. Well, it- I, I understand, but let me throw you know a, a little wrench into this. One of the reasons that President Trump w- was able to win is he was able to win a state, for example, like Wisconsin. It surprised everybody, but he was able to win a state like Wisconsin. One of the things that happened yesterday was we, we saw Governor Walker, as we talked about, you know, go down to defeat. Uh, is that, and I, I think part of it might have been, forget part, might have been, Part of it, I think, was because you had a bunch of motivated anti-Trump voters who came out and they voted against Scott Walker because they wanted to send a message to Donald Trump. Donald Trump loses, if he loses Pennsylvania, if he loses Michigan, if he loses Wisconsin, he's not going to get reelected. And did the results last night, maybe in the governor's races, suggest that he might be in trouble in some of those states? Um, I, I haven't been paying attention to states outside of Wisconsin. Right. I do think that if nothing else, that, that, that the Democrat, you know, that Walker lost, uh, Schimmel, the guy sees going down or something. But um, my, my gut sense reaction is our nation remains divided. Yes. Well, I, no, I, I think there, there's no question about that. Thanks. You know, there's, there, there's no question about that. The nation is divided. I mean, here here is, to me, what should be sounding alarm bells all all throughout the Republican establishment. Donald Trump's path to victory in 2016 was was a narrow one um you know it's there he he surprised people by winning pennsylvania he surprised people by winning wisconsin he surprised people by winning michigan well now you're you're starting to kind of see this this flip back scott walker loses democrats picked up the michigan governorship you look at these different types of things and you wonder all right was was 2016 a, a fluke uh, if you look at the again the Congress and the Senate races, this was not a bad midterm election for Republicans. And again, I understand I'm saying that given they understand they lost the House of Representatives, but it could have been a lot worse. It was a lot worse for Democrats in 2010. It, it could have been a lot worse. But 
if you look at these state-by-state state races and you start looking at the electoral map and you say, okay, is it po- going to be possible for Donald Trump to put that coalition back that, that gave him the votes he needed to win if he's the candidate again in Wisconsin, for example? And and that's where the concern is, I think. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, what it boils down to is conservatives and liberals. Um, I think President Trump won against Hillary simply the conservatives came out and didn't want Hillary right. and take a chance on him. Now, <clears throat> I voted for him not as a person because I don't like him as a person, but he surprised everybody and the, and the media with what he's accomplished up to this point. And I think whether he's able to get anything done between now and 2020 I don't think it's going to matter much because he can't stop tweeting and giving the media things to make fun of him constantly. And it'll make it look like in the two years, like it is now, like, right. you know, people and even the media can do what they did to him today in that press conference. That was right. ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, it was an ugly press conference. Thanks for, thanks for calling. It, it, it was, it was ugly. And it's, if we, we, we'll probably talk about that maybe tomorrow, if, if anybody thought that there was going to be any sort of, conciliation after the midterms it that that it's very clear that that's not what happened but, but let me give you the example of michigan president trump won michigan in 2016 yesterday in the midterm elections the democrat running for governor won and, and won michigan handily 53 percent to 44 percent so you know it, it's these these rust belt states where president trump was able to put the coalition together to get him enough electoral votes on those statewide races, he, he lost. And I don't think there, I, I mean, let, let me just say this. If President Trump, given the state of the economy and all these things, if he was less confrontational and less controversial, and I, I understand that's like saying, well, you know, gee, if my horse were a lot faster, if I was riding a racehorse instead of a mule, I might win the Kentucky Derby. I, I understand that that's not exactly going to happen here. But but there's, there's no question in my mind that he motivates the opposition and that that was one of the factors that led, for example, to Scott Walker's defeat. Because, again, it's not that Trump voters wouldn't come out and vote for Walker but it's that Democrat voters were motivated to go out and send a message to Donald Trump by voting against Scott Walker. And I wonder if that can be turned around. Was 2016 a fluke? And I will tell you, that is something that I think Republicans have to be looking at if they want to retain the White House. And Donald Trump, look, he's not going anywhere. And I guess I don't see the mainstream Republican Party, you know, dumping him. But... It's not the midterm results on the federal level. It's not the Senate races. It's not the races for the House of Representatives that indicate that President Trump's reelection bid might be in trouble. It's the governor's races that suggest that to me. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's simple. It is simple for the Packers. They need a lot of wins over the next eight weeks. How can they get that done? Greg Matzik wonders if they should take the ball out of one of Aaron's hands and put it into the hands of another Aaron. He'll explain tonight at 7.07 on Sports Central. Could that mean run the ball more? You know, the Packers, they, they did this. They brought in the new offensive coach, Joe Philpin, who I, I like a lot. And they said, oh, we're going to scrub the offense. We're going to take a look and we're going to redo what we've done. And offense looks like it's kind of the same. Aaron Rodgers drops back and chucks the ball, except this year he's not as accurate as he has been in the past. I just, just 
Just saying, but I'm not a coach. Hey, um, this is one of these examples of, you know, karma. Karma is just an interesting thing. Remember last week you had the, the, the creepy uh, comedian on Saturday Night Live, Pete Davidson, who decided to mock the, the, the Texas congressional candidate. His name is Dan Crenshaw, who decided to mock the, the fact that the guy wears an eye patch. You know, they showed his, his picture on the Saturday Night Live sketch. And apparently this wasn't scripted. This is where at least part of it, where the comedian kind of like went off on his own and started mocking the guy. And they said, oh, here, look, he's got this eye patch. He looks like a hitman in a pornographic movie. And of course, I mean, this is a, a former Navy SEAL who lost one of his eyes when an IED, a bomb, exploded, almost lost the sight of another eye. And here you have this creep, you know, on Saturday Night Live who's, like, making fun of him. And to this day, Saturday Night Live still hasn't apologized. Lauren Michaels hasn't addressed it. If this had been the other way around, Tammy Duckworth is a U.S. senator from Illinois. She uh, lost both of her legs while serving our country in Iraq. If you had... A comedian, a conservative comedian who mocked her, made fun of the fact that, you know, she was a multiple amputee, that, that person would never be on the air again. They, they, they just wouldn't because that would be so incredibly insensitive and inappropriate and offensive. But I guess when it's the other way around, when it's a show like Saturday Night Live and Lauren Michaels and the lefty comedians, it's okay to mock the the guy who's running is a Republican who lost his eye. It is the incredible, staggering double standards. Shame on NBC and shame on Saturday Night Live for allowing that to happen. But in any event, in, in the example of, well, karma, here's the deal. Uh, last night, the elections, Dan Crenshaw won handily. He won with about 53% of the vote. So, yes, he gets mocked by this creep on Saturday Night Live for wearing an eye patch after he lost an eye in combat, he ends up winning his congressional race handily. So I guess you know he, he gets the last laugh. One of the other just amazing stories is uh, there are a number of the, these candidates that had a, a lot of heavy Hollywood support. You had a couple of them in Florida. You had the Tallahassee mayor, um, Gilliam was his name, and, you know, he had support of, you know, all these different Hollywood celebrities and musical celebrities, including, you know, Jimmy Buffett, the guy that I like a lot. They played these concerts. Well, he went down to defeat. He lost the long-term Republican de- Democrat Senator uh, Nelson out of Florida. He ended up losing. So all these people that had this incredible celebrity support, they went down to defeat in Texas. You heard a lot about the race between Ted Cruz and this Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke, he was going to be the guy that knocks off Ted Cruz. No, nope, didn't didn't happen. Lost. He he did well, but he lost by about two hundred thousand votes. And at the end of the day, he ended up losing. It is interesting because last night he he goes on MSNBC. He's on MSNBC. He's giving his speech. They're carrying it live, and and he drops the f bomb. Right. This is this guy. You're you're on TV, and he he says to his crowd. All of you showing the country how you do this. I'm so blanking proud of you guys. And MSNBC just kind of lets it go. It's like, okay, really? But now the interesting things that's coming out for old Beto is a number of the celebrities that supported him in his losing effort are now saying, well, it's okay. It's decent that he lost because we want to see him run for president. Okay, so the guy that lost the Senate race to Ted Cruz, that's the guy that you're going to pick and have run for president. All right, good luck with that. 
when we come back. All right, the marijuana referendums were done. In general, um, all no, every county, I think every county that had a referendum considering legalizing marijuana supported that referendum. People said yes. I want to talk about it. Stick around. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have some breaking news. Uh, Jeff Sessions, the embattled Attorney General of the United States, he is apparently um, resigning. I don't know if that's a requested resignation by President Trump. I, if, if you've been following this, he's essentially was one of President Trump's closest advisors early on. He was one of the I, – I, I, I knew Jeff Sessions back – Jeff Sessions was the U.S. attorney for one of the districts in Alabama – Back in the day, when when I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I met him, and this is when I was young, and he was a lot younger. I met him at a couple events in Washington and things like that. He he went on to be a federal judge, and then he was a senator from Alabama, and then he took over the job as, as Attorney General. He's been, and during the Trump campaign, he was one of President Trump's closest advisors. He was one of the earliest supporters of President Trump. They were very close. He fell out of favor with President Trump because after he was appointed attorney general, he felt that he should not supervise the investigation into Russian collusion because he was involved in the campaign. So he recused himself. He he stepped aside, and that led to the appointment of the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and as we all know, that's been a, a huge issue with, with President Trump. And, and that decision has really made him President Trump's whipping boy for the last two years to the point that, you know, President Trump would say how, how he just has no respect for him. He, he's been very uh, abusive towards the attorney general. And I've said this on a couple occasions. If I was the attorney general and I had a, a president that was who ultimately, I mean, you serve at the pleasure of the president. And I had a president who was saying these sort of things about me publicly, I would have walked in a long time ago and I would have said, Mr. President, I here, here's my resignation. I, I Obviously, we, we've had this falling out. I'm sorry, and it's been a pleasure working for you, and now I'm going to go on and get on with my life. He did not do that, but there's been a lot of speculation that after the midterms, there, there would be some sort of shakeup. And given the fact given the fact that the the Republicans have held control of the U.S. Senate, meaning that his next appointee will probably be able to get confirmed. This isn't a surprise. So we've got a status update coming up in a couple minutes. Tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we're, we're back, we'll give you an update on that. It's 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm joined by Eric Bilstadt. So, Eric, the report is... A day after the midterms, an embattled Attorney General Jeff Sessions is out as Attorney General. A resignation, a firing, we're not sure exactly what sure. the dynamics are. They're calling it a resignation, but you never know, right? He submitted his resignation letter today to President Trump. The president accepted, and now he is out as Attorney General. Something that many expected would happen at some point. Here comes the day after the midterms. Let's get the very latest on this breaking story from ABC News. Hope you know it. I think ABC has, I think she has her mic off. So yes, Attorney General Jeff Sessions submitting just moments ago his resignation letter to the president. 
You suggested something during the break, right before we turned on our, our mics on this, that perhaps they had this planned and it really depended on how many senators won re-election and how many Republicans there'd be in the Senate before they would do well, something. Right. I mean, there's no secret about this. I mean, they've, it's been in battle for a while. President Trump's been unhappy with Jeff Sessions, essentially since he recused himself in, in the beginning. And um, I, I think there's two things. First of all, I don't think they wanted to do it immediately before the midterms because then it becomes another distraction. Mm-hmm. It becomes another issue. Nobody did needed that. Secondly, there was always an issue with control of the, the U.S. Senate. Now, I, I think if you looked at, as it turns out, the Republicans picked up, I believe it's going to be three seats, so they've now got a working majority. But if the Republicans had lost control of the U.S. Senate, and keep in mind, the attorney general, that that's a position that has to be approved by the U.S. Senate. If Republicans had lost control of the U.S. Senate, who knows what, what would have happened then? Would President Trump have been able to get any appointees, including any cabinet members, through? Now that they've got a working majority, you know what's going to happen. So maybe this was just the time for all this to happen. So who do you think he's going to pick? Oh, that's another. See, that's that's another interesting question. And then. Okay, as long as we're going down this route, Mr. Bill said. <laughs> All right. As long as we're going down this route. Here, here's the other thing. The reason that Robert Mueller was appointed as special counsel was because Jeff Sessions had a con- felt he had a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Appeared because, again, he was close to, let's review the bidding. He was close to the Trump campaign. He was a part of the Trump campaign. Yes. So if the allegations are the Trump campaign was involved in colluding with the Russians. Sessions, appropriately, in my opinion, felt that it, it just it had the appearance of impropriety, that he, he couldn't be supervising an investigation mm-hmm. of right. a campaign that he was involved in. So I, I think he did the ethically appropriate thing of stepping down. Now, should he have told, I don't know if he and President Trump talked about that before the appointment or not, but, but regardless, I think he did the right thing. Okay, so here's now the question. If the reason why you had Robert Mueller as special counsel was because the attorney general had a conflict, if the attorney general is now gone, Jeff Sessions is gone, and they appoint somebody who had nothing to do with the 2016 campaign, does that give Donald Trump now the justification to fire the special prosecutor, the special counsel, and say, all right, we're going to bring this back into the Justice Department? And, you know, because the guy that's now the attorney general doesn't have a conflict. I throw that out there mm, as a thought. Interesting. So as to who it might be, I, I you know, I, I don't know. There's been a number of names, you know, that are thrown around. But, I mean, I think that's that's really one of the potential here because new attorney general, maybe new rules, what does that do? And then, of course, given the fact that the Democrats have taken over control of the House of Representatives, if you fire Robert Mueller, again, under the, the justification that I've just said, what is that going to do with all the Democrats and subpoena power and investigations? And we're, you know that we're going to just be off to the races with all of that. Well, we do know for the time being that Sessions chief of staff, Matt Whitaker, will become the new acting attorney general for the for the current moment. We'll see how long. Right. And, and I think it it goes it goes without saying. For example, when I when I started working in the U.S. attorney's office, um, the, William French Smith was the Attorney General. My okay. my appointment papers signed by William French Smith. I've got them framed. It's it's and you know you had a number of Attorney Generals. What happens is it is not uncommon to see a transition like this. I mean, the fact that Eric Holder stayed for six or seven years for Barack Obama that's unusual. Normally, 
normally these cabinet level offices turn over. Um, you know, uh, Janet, um, uh, Janet Reno, she served a long, I mean, I think she served both terms in the Clinton administration as the attorney general. That, that was, that would be unusual. So some turnover is not unusual. My guess is, you know, you'll have a number of members of, of the cabinet that are either asked to leave or, or leave. I want to say, was it Nixon? Nixon might have asked for the resignation of all his cabinet members. I, I might be wrong about that historically, but it's not unusual, you know, in, you know, after midterms or in a second, that might have been after the first term, after the reelection, but it's not unusual to see a little bit of a turnover, but because it's President Trump, because you have the ongoing investigation of Robert Mueller, that, that's where this really becomes interesting. But if the investigation has some serious merit to it, if there's something really there, there that Mueller and the team has, would they try to move around this knowing that this could be a card that's played? Would they be able to proactively avoid that situation? Well, there, there's a lot of speculation that Robert Mueller was ready to ratchet up the, the investigate. I mean, the thing that's out there now is, will he subpoena the president? Can, can you legal? I mean, and, and it raises all sorts of constitutional issues that smarter lawyers than me, you know, have opinions on. But, you know, he, he wants to get a statement from the president. They, they've been going around with this for the last six months, negotiating whether or not the, the, the president will appear voluntarily, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is no secret. So now the question becomes, all right, the midterms are over. And let's assume for the sake of argument that, that Robert Mueller didn't want to drop some sort of bombshell two or three weeks before the midterm elections and throw that into even more turmoil. Okay. So now the midterm elections are done. And, and I don't think there's any question that Mueller, the, the, the ball is now in his court. Is he going to subpoena the president? Is he going to call the president in front of a grand jury? I mean, I, all these different things schedule the notice the president for a deposition. All those different things are all on the table. And I think there's a lot of speculation that, that he's going to, He's going to pull the trigger on something. So then the question becomes, you know, what what do you end up uh, doing with regard to that? So it, it's it is a very very fluid sort of situation, and the next question then becomes who who are you going to replace him with? Are you going to look at the ranks of the Justice Department? And are you going to bring somebody, elevate somebody who's in the Justice Department now? I I don't know. Are you going to reach out to somebody on the outside and then bring them in? But it, it's a very, very interesting time. And again, given the fact that you have the Democrats that have taken over control of the House of Representatives, you know that anything that the president would do with regard to this attorney general issue that might might diminish the power of Robert Mueller or might be seen as a way to be an end round, end run end of the Mueller investigation, you know that people would go positively bat you know what over that, you know, in the House of Representatives. I mean it's it's kind of an interesting interesting time with regard to this. Am I surprised that, that Jeff Sessions is gone no, the reality was it was kind of an untenable situation, and it, it's been an untenable situation, again, pretty much pretty much from the jump. Let me just say this about Jeff Sessions. I have always respected him. Um, I, I know he gets mocked on Saturday Night Live and things like that, 
but you know he was the U.S. attorney from Alabama. He was a federal judge. He served, you know, in the Senate for multiple terms. He is conservative, but generally well respected. And candidly, I cringed a lot of times when I listened to the criticism that President Trump offered him because I've always thought that Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, in the role as Attorney General and in his other roles, has really been a great American and has served the country very, very well. And you, you kind of hate to see him go out on this particular note, whether it was a resignation or whether it was a firing. All right. We're going to get an update in just a couple of minutes about what's been going on. Uh, then we're going to be back. I want to talk about pot. Stick around. It's 158. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, I was going to use you as the sounding board to yes. start off this next conversation. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. But no, but I, I have decided I'm not because we are friends. And colleagues and teammates, I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's, but you, but you always put me on the spot. I understand. Jack. But trust, uh, listen, when I tell you that I'm not going to ask you this question and I'm doing you a favor, what you should say is thanks, Jeff, and get the heck out of the studio. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I'll do just that. I, I'm just telling you this in advance. Now, be, oh no, I want to play along with you. No, I don't think you're going to want to play along with me on this particular one. I'm, I'm doing you a favor. You're going to walk out and you're going to listen to the segment. And say, boy, I'm glad he didn't ask me that particular question. All right. Here is, and Drew, I'm not even going to ask you this particular question. All right. Yesterday, in Wisconsin, there were a number of referendums on legalizing adult use of marijuana. Some of the referendums were related to medical marijuana, but many, particularly the ones in Milwaukee County and Dane County, asked about legalizing recreational use of marijuana for adults and then taxing it. And those referendums passed, just absolutely passed overwhelmingly. Let me see, 70% of Milwaukee County voters said, yeah, we, we should do that. Dane County, no surprise, even a higher percentage, 76% in favor, 24% opposed. And again, that was similar to the way many of these other pot referendums went, in recognizing that some were on medical use, but but many were on recreational use. Now, these are non-binding referendums, so it, it's not, it is, this doesn't mean that the legislature has to act on them, but it does offer a sense of the electorate, I, I think. You know, a, a sense of the fact that, you know, maybe people have come to view marijuana differently now than maybe they viewed it 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. My guess is 20 years ago, if you had a referendum talking about recreational use of marijuana, there's no way, even in Milwaukee County, that it would have gotten 70% of the vote. Even in Dane County, I don't think it would have gotten 76% of, of the vote, even 20 years ago. There's clearly been an evolution of this, and given the fact that Wisconsin would not be out on the fringe. There's a number of states that, that have, in fact, legalized marijuana. What was the last count? Nine or something like that. And and so you see the way this trend is moving. All right. I don't – I need you to be honest. I don't want to discuss whether we should do it or, or not. You know, we, we've, we've had that conversation on, on multiple occasions, and other hosts have as well. I want to ask you a more intriguing question to me. And, and that question is this. If marijuana were, in fact, legalized for, for adults, so marijuana would essentially be the same as, as alcohol. 21 and older, you, you, can, you, you can smoke it, you can legally purchase it, et cetera, et cetera. If it were legalized, would you, 
would you use it? Would you smoke marijuana? Would you say, all right, look, here, here's the deal. I, I normally, I'm used to going out for a couple drinks after work or something. But if this were legalized, yeah, th- this is, I, I can see going to the marijuana bar. I can see doing this. If, if it were legal, and I need you to be honest about this, because one of the things that I have always believed is that if, if marijuana were legalized, what you would see is you would see a spike in usage, meaning that there, I believe that there's all sorts of people now who might be inclined to try it, but don't because it, it's illegal and they don't want to get in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. But, but let's test this. Clearly, the electorate is saying we, we want it legalized. 76% of the people in Dane County that voted yesterday, 70% in Milwaukee County, other numbers like that. Be honest with me. If marijuana were legalized, would you start smoking it? If you smoke marijuana now, would you smoke more of it? What would the effect be? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that's why I didn't want to put my dear teammate, Melissa, on the spot by saying, Hey, Melissa, if pot were legalized, would, would you be smoking it? <laughs> 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell you what, let me give Gru a chance to line up the calls. We'll be back to talk about this in just a moment. And it, this is an honest, legitimate Question, what what would you do if it were legalized? We discuss in just a moment. It's 212, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Joan in Waukesha. Joan, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joan. This reminds me so much of the conceal and carry. We're going to bring it up in the rear again. But if you suffer from anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, I mean, I'll be the first in line. Instead of having to take medication, Mm -hmm. I just think it's going to happen eventually anyway. Let's just get on with it. What about, what about, what about recreational use? Let's take a side. Just instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to go out tonight for a couple glasses of wine. Um, today's going to be my day that I I wake up and I get baked. Would you think, would you be doing that? Do you think you might be doing that? (laughs) Well, no, I wouldn't wake and bake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, I, I am absolutely not opposed to it. And, and you know what? I watched the election last night, and and it, I am pro-walker. And the first thing I thought was, now my taxes are going to go sky high, along with my mother-in-law with Tosis. Um, But now that he's in, I said, pot's going to be approved. And that was the plus about him okay it, it, it's going to happen anyway why don't we get on with it and it can be regulated and it can be taxed and the state's going to make money because it's going to happen anyway okay well th- thanks for calling i say I, I i right and i i i i don't know sooner or later it, it does appear that that's where the wave of history is and it does appear that that's where the majority of voters are i guess i i'm i'm more interested right now in, in individuals as to whether or not if it were legalized would you would you do it yourself? And again, I'm not I'm I'm not talking about the medicinal stuff now. I I am talking about the flat out recreational use of marijuana. Now I'm getting a number of texts from people who are saying we would, except you know we're concerned our employers have these policies against it, and we wouldn't want to lose our our jobs. Now if it were legalized, then you have this whole legal issue about whether if it's legal. Can an employer still bar that legal practice? The answer to that might def- depend on, on state by state, and I, I don't even want to get into that. But if, if, if it were legalized, would you do it? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dan in West Bend. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hey, how's it going? Good. Okay. It's legalized. Are you going to start smoking dope? <laughs> uh, no, not any more than I would have if it was not legal. Okay. Um, I've, I've tried it before. It's, you know, I like, I enjoy having my faculties. Yeah. Um, and medically I would probably try it before I would want to do sure. painkillers and things that you get addicted to, Sure. but, but recreational, it's not going to, I think you'll get an initial spike of people like, you know, oh, I want to try it, but I think that dies off. I think it goes back to the people that would normally do it anyway if it was illegal. And mm-hmm. you know, this way, it. this way, the state just gets income from it. Got it. Okay. No, thank, thanks for calling again. I, 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 I've always tried to make this distinction. I, I see medical marijuana as differently. I mean, given if you have somebody who is a terminal cancer patient, for example, and you can legitimately give them prescriptions for any number of opiates to try to reduce their pain or inspire their appetite or whatever. Uh, to me, it's never made any sense to say, hey, look, if if marijuana might help you, you get an appetite back or something, it's never made any sense to me to say no to that. It, it just doesn't. Some physicians disagree, but that's just the way I come down on it. Recreationally is different. Here's a text. Never recre- recreationally. I stay clear of things that impair me and are potentially addictive, Life is challenging enough sober. That, that, that's interesting. I don't mean to be Pollyanna about this, uh, but I will tell you that this has no appeal to me at, at all. That's what I was kind of thinking of. It just, it has no appeal to me. I aesthetically I mean, okay, I like the way beer tastes. I like a good bourbon. The idea of chewing a, a marijuana laced gummy bear to just kind of get high or or inhaling, you know, a marijuana cigarette. It just has no appeal to me. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying it legal or not. I, I wouldn't do it. I just, I, I just would do it because I, if I want to chem, like I, I do agree, life is challenging enough, you know, when, when you're sober without necessarily adding this in. It just has no appeal to me, but that's just me. 414-799-1620. Steve in Lisbon. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, John. Hi, Steve. Uh, I got a, kind of a unique perspective. Uh, I am a casual uh, user of marijuana, uh-huh. and I have a DUI. And as it is right now, I got pulled over the other day, and the cop asked if I was drinking. And I told him no, because I don't drink and drive. Well, if we pass the marijuana referendum, huh. the police are going to have to come up with the equivalent of a field sobriety test. Right. In which case... Uh, now I, I won't be able to smoke and drive. I know it sounds crazy. You're probably thinking, who is this guy? You shouldn't be smoking and driving. Well, that was, Steve, i got to tell you, that was the next thing I was going to say. You realize, my friend, you shouldn't be smoking pot and driving anyways. You, right, you took right. the words out of my mouth. Token, yeah. Right, but by the same token, it was like, you know, people say you got one hour per drink and you can drink and drive right. and you go and have a couple. Well, how long does the marijuana stay in your system? If I want to smoke a couple of, you know, a joint at night, and I get up in the morning and go to work. Right. Chances are that's still going to be in the system. Oh, I guarantee it. Marijuana. I mean, marijuana. I, I, I'm not talking about necessarily the effect, but but marijuana. I mean, you right. test for it. That stays in your system for twenty, thirty days. Yeah. Right. But the other thing is, you know, to what degree is it going to be in your system? Right. Is this guy impaired or isn't he? And the truth is, just this is happening to everybody. It's, I'm the only. I'm not. Truth is, I'm the most honest guy on the show. No one else is going to admit to this, and no one else is even looking to see into it. Right. So I'm probably saving somebody else. 
<laughs> right. All right. Interesting. Thanks for calling, Steve. And that's why I, I, I love I love the candor of of this. And your concern is if marijuana is legalized, they're going to have to start testing for this as well, and 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 maybe it'll we'll have more people getting caught. I I, I do, and I mean this, this isn't what I'm about to say. I I understand where history is going with this, and I understand where voters are. I I do. Keep coming back to that that horrible accident in Chippewa Falls. And it's not really an accident. The horrible thing that happened on the roadway Saturday morning, last Saturday morning in Chippewa Falls, where you have the guy that's sniffing glue or huffing or whatever he's inhaling, loses control of the car. He and his buddy are struggling. They cross the road. They hit and they kill those three kids that are by the side of the road picking up trash and all. And and I do I, I do find myself wondering, and I understand that that wasn't pot, but I do find myself wondering as a policy matter, is it good to encourage people to do stuff or make it easier for people to do stuff, which, again, might be a mind-altering sort of thing? And I understand that huffing is not the same as marijuana, but for the purpose of our discussion, it's just interesting to me because this has no appeal to me. It's just, it has no appeal at all. Do I have a drink after work from time to time? Yes, yes I do. Um, but even if it were legal, for me, marijuana holds no no particular interest. Josh and Cudahy. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Josh. Um, so I, I don't use, I mean, I might try it, but one thing I do want to just kind of comment on, you know, I know you just made the comment again with uh, do you have a drink after work kind of a thing. Right. I do have a lot of friends, you know, that, you know, you can – is misconception. You can just take a hit and just kind of take the edge off. You know, mm-hmm. you, some people, I have some friends that, you know, might get anxiety in some situations that might take a hit just to take the edge off mm-hmm. or after work. So, I mean, it's not like you just take it and you're, you know, sitting on a couch. Just, I mean, you can, don't get me wrong. You can, right. No, right. Well, no, right. But no, what you're, what you're saying is there's people who could use it recreationally, just like the yeah. people who go to a bar and have a drink and then leave. Right. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. And, or just come home after work. You take it, you take a hit and just, you know, and just kind of mellow. I mean, it's not, it's not an all, I mean, right. the edible stuff you can, that stuff can, you know, you got to be careful with, but when it comes to just, you know, taking, taking a hit or whatever, I mean, I can take the edge off, no problem. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't just have to get real high on one hit. I mean, some right. people are different and just different, just like there's different levels of alcohol, you know, Everclear versus I haven't thought about Everclear since I was in college. You know, I, I had a girlfriend that used to make this punch, and it was Everclear, which is like 190-proof grain alcohol oh, yeah. and grape yeah. juice and some other stuff. And it, it's Everclear. Yeah, yeah, there's different. There's all different. Yeah. Okay. Well, but let me let me ask you this: Do you, if it were legalized, do you think you would be more? Inc- do you think you would be inclined to to smoke it more often? I mean, I, I, I mean, again, I'm not a, I'm not a user, but I would, I would yeah. probably, I mean, just, uh, again, I, you know, I, I kind of do worry about, you know, the law and, and jobs and stuff. So, I mean, if that risk is gone, I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, I, no, if, I, if, thanks if for calling. No, I'm, I'm the edge off and if I don't have a hangover, if I don't, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it's. You know, no, I get it. No, th- no, thanks for calling. Right, and again, I'm th- this. Uh, this isn't Jeff being judgmental. I, it is a legitimate curiosity because my belief all along has been that if you legalize it, you're you're going to have w- without getting into the merits of it. Is 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 it worse than alcohol? Is it better than alcohol? Whatever. My belief has always been if you legalize it, 
that means that you're going to open the door for lots more use and that people who do it now will do more of it, that people who might otherwise be inclined not to do it are going to start doing it. And, and again, I'm not being judgmental uh, about that, but, you know, is, is that what would happen? Chris in Waterford. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hi. hi um, yes, I am an everyday smoker. I like to smoke. I don't like to drink. To me, marijuana is just like a fine wine. It all tastes differently. It smells differently. It's, you know, you can go and have a tasting just like you can a wine tasting. And it doesn't deter my work ethic or anything like that. I make my hundred grand a year. I go to work every day and I do what I'm supposed to do. So it's interesting. So aesthetically, you know, the, you, 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 you would sample it. You would consider it to be like fine wine. The difference is, because I mean, just inhaling and stuff like that and putting it into your lungs, that to me has no appeal at all. But, but you, you kind of liken it to like a fine wine, huh? I, well, I prefer it over drinking, considering right. uh, if anything happens to anybody around me, I can at least drive them to the emergency room or, you know, make sure somebody gets help as opposed to being obliviated. On alcohol. Okay. All right. Now, thank, well, okay. Thanks. Well, I, I hope you're not driving around too much, you know, with, with marijuana. But again, I, I, this, I, I understand this is the way we seem to be going. And it's, it's the way a number of other states have gone. And if you look at these referendums, and I will, I'll say this, this has always been one of the things that surprised me. I've been doing the show for a long time. And I don't know whether it's the, libertarian edge that many of you have or just the fact that lots of people grew up smoking pot or whatever but whenever we have these conversations i would say that 75 to 80 percent of the people who call in at least you know are are in favor of of recreational use of marijuana and i I recognize again that's where history is going i am just intrigued though about whether people would do it or not because this is one of these things where see there's lots of stuff that's legal that i wouldn't do I, this is another one of those things that I would just put into that category, but doesn't mean that other people might see things in a different way. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, to the point of what we were just talking about. A marijuana referendum gets overwhelmingly approved in Milwaukee County. It's only an advisory referendum, so what are the chances of it becoming reality? County Executive Chris Abley shares his thoughts. That's coming up 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's morning news, people were commenting on my term "wake and bake." You ever heard that grill? That that that's, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah. He said, "I went to college. That's I, I got some. Yeah, well, you kind of wake up and you sort of get baked, and that's how you spend the spend the rest of the day." No, it just it has no appeal to me, and that's that's not a goody two shoes thing. It's just that a number of people today were sending me emails or texts saying, "Why doesn't Scott Walker concede?" I mean the. Uh, the numbers are such, you know, after you had that late night ballot dump, which, which by the way, I started the program on like this and you, I, I know every, some people just listen to all three hours of the program to which I say thank you. Other people kind of come in and out and a lot of people, uh, cause I see the numbers, listen to the podcast of the show. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile app thing and then subscribe to the podcast and then you, you can listen to the show whenever you want. But I, I did start off the, the show. By, by commenting on, on what happened last night with the, the election. And if you were watching the vote totals, uh, as I was, I started off at the Marquette game at Pfizer Forum and then ended up at home. And it, it was going back and forth. And you saw, okay, well, th- where are the votes coming from? Where are the votes coming from? And then about 1130 at night, Milwaukee, the city of, announced, oh, by the way, 
we have 45,000 votes that, that we haven't reported, despite the fact that it said all the votes had been reported. These are the absentee ballots and some of the early votes. And, and once you saw it was that number, you, you knew that the election was going to have a dramatic turn because you knew that those numbers were going to break overwhelmingly for Tony Evers. And really, all the stuff that you'd been watching and analyzing, it, it didn't make any difference because Milwaukee had all tens of thousands of ballots that they had sat on and hadn't reported. And so they ultimately report at 12, and that's that's when the election is, or 1 o'clock in the morning, where the election's kind of over. Now, I am not alleging that I think there was fraud or anything like that, but I do think it's, and this is something that, you know, Tom Barrett should get his act together on. It's no way to run a railroad. I mean, what? why is it that Milwaukee County, decide, Milwaukee, particularly a city, decides that they are, they can't process tens of thousands of ballots during the course of the evening when all the other counties can apparently do that. So now you have this big dump. Now, I, I'm not suggesting, again, that there's fraud or anything like that. But from the issue of transparency, it doesn't make the system look good that all night long people who are watching the results think it's one way or the other. And then all of a sudden at the end of the night, it's almost sort of like, hey, we on this box of ballots and here how many ballots do we need for our guy to win? And boom, we're going to have that. And I'm not suggesting that is what happened. But if all the other places around the state can get their act together and can report the absentee ballots and the early voting voting things in a timely fashion, why is it that Milwaukee can't? And this is apparently the second year in a row they've had these, the second election in a row, major election, they've had these problems. And again, it's more like kind of get your act together because did it change the outcome? No. Am I suggesting fraud? No. But it's not the way to run a railroad, and it certainly makes it look like there's something fishy going on, even though I don't think that there was anything fishy going on. Fishy going on. Anyhow, the I've been getting a lot of feedback today. Why doesn't Scott Walker concede? Why doesn't Scott Walker concede? You know, you're not going to really push for a recount. It's 20-some thousand votes. If it's 2,000, you ask for a recount. 20-some thousand, no. And I, I kept saying to everybody, just just give it time. It'll, you know, this, you had this huge ballot dump that came in in the dead of night, thanks to the city of Milwaukee. And I kept saying, Walker's going to do the right thing. There's no question in my mind that the governor will do that. It just takes a little bit of time to process this. Where did the votes come in? How many of these votes were there? And again, just a few minutes ago, Governor Walker, apparently there was a conversation he had earlier with Tony Evers where he conceded. He's now issued a a public statement. I'm looking at it, and it's a... It's it's a classy statement, you know. He goes on to talk about you know his family and all the different people that have been close to him, and then you know he goes on at the end to say thanks to Tony Evers for his gracious comments on our call today. I offered the full support of my staff and our cabinet as he begins the transition process. Finally, thank you to the voters of the great state of Wisconsin. It's been my honor to serve as your governor for nearly eight years. We've come a long way together, and it is my sincere hope that the progress we've made during our time in office will continue and that we can keep Wisconsin working for generations to come. Thank you, and may God bless the people of Wisconsin. So for everybody who thought, well, you know, Scott Walker could concede, might should concede, I just, my advice was just give him a little bit of time, let everybody figure out what, what happened, because, again, this election, if you were up late, it dramatically changed. I mean, I... I and I'm not alleging that there was fraud. I'm not alleging that there was misconduct. It was just 
the city of Milwaukee apparently unable to get its act together like all other communities are able to do. But, I mean, I was watching the numbers last night, and I was looking, as I always do, where are the numbers coming in from? Where do they remain to be counted? And I will tell you, um, at least before I heard that the city of Milwaukee was sitting on 45,000 votes, I, I mean, I, I was looking, I was thinking, Walker's going to win. I was thinking he's going to win because these are where the votes are outstanding. And then, of course, once you hear that there's this huge number of votes that the city of Milwaukee hasn't gotten around to counting in a timely fashion, then then the dynamic changes. So you say, okay, well, th- this race is over. But it would have been nice if they would have been able to process them in a fashion like all the other areas did. But I'm sure it took Governor Walker a little bit of time to process this, like it took everybody else some time to process this. And, you know, what's going on? Where do these votes come from? But at the end of the day, I think they've made the right decision. They've recognized that uh, the electorate, for good or bad, has spoken and um, time to move on. It's a classy statement, and I expect Governor Walker will do everything he possibly can to make sure the transition goes smoothly. It is 2.43 when we come back. Some interesting numbers on school referendum. And it was big in the state of Wisconsin a number of years ago. Now it might be going the way of a dinosaur. Stick around. 2.44, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Crew, who is producing the show today and always. Did you ever go to a Greyhound racing track in Wisconsin? Was that before your time? No. Okay. If you will remember, back in 1989, in the state of Wisconsin, regulators gave the... It used to be in Wisconsin, no gambling at all. And then through a variety of things, what happened is we, we started opening the door to gambling. And in the beginning, there were dog tracks. And you, you if you've been around since then, you'll remember the, the biggest dog track in the state, and one of the three or four biggest dog tracks in the country, was the, the Dairyland um, Greyhound Racing Place that's um, down in Kenosha, right, right off the, the freeway. That was open from 1989 until 2009. It was open for about 20 years. And I remember I was there opening night of Dairyland, and the place was packed. There were like 15,000 people there, maybe more. It was just absolutely packed for <clears throat> for Greyhound racing. And what happened was it, we had – there were at one point in time, there were – I think there were five dog tracks. There was the Dairyland Greyhound racing track, which is the big one. They had one in, in Geneva Lakes. They had one in Kaukana in the Fox River Valley. You had one in Hudson. You had one, and then you had one in the Wisconsin Dells that was open during the summer, you know, during this tourist season stuff. And, and for a while, dog tracks were a license to make money because people liked to gamble. We didn't have horse racing here, and, and, so, and we didn't have casinos. And so people would go to the dog tracks. What happened was that shortly after we got the dog tracks, we ended up getting Indian casinos and Indian gaming. Um, and then you had the explosion of that. And that effectively killed the dog tracks because the idea was, you know, why why go to a dog track where you go for a, a session and there's going to be maybe 15 races over the course of a few hours and you've got to wait 10 minutes between races or whatever when you can go to a casino and you can play however many hands of blackjack or however much slot machines. If, if The idea being if you're going to gamble, you, you can gamble and you can gamble faster and faster or lose faster or whatever. But, but once you had Indian gaming that came in, 
uh, it, it, it killed the dog tracks. And, for example, Dairyland, when Dairyland closed in 2009, there were a couple hundred people that ended up losing their jobs. But over the years, they had a lot more people that were there than that. So, you know, the, the dog racing industry just, just completely fell apart in Wisconsin. And it has, again, because it can't compete with Indian gaming or other the explosion of casino gambling, it's pretty much been crumbling all around the country. So why do I bring this up? Because, again, I, I can I can remember how big a deal dog racing, greyhound racing was in in Wisconsin. And I'm sure a lot of you probably, you know, would go to a dog track for some recreation or fun or whatever. Well, I bring this up because I think in all likelihood, all dog racing will be gone in the United States. In the next two or three years. Here's why. There are only 17 dog tracks remaining in the country. Now, keep in mind, you know, 20 years ago, there were 30 years ago, 20 years ago, there were there were five in Wisconsin, five or six in Wisconsin alone. Um, now there are only 17 dog tracks remaining in the country of those dog tracks of those 17, 11 are in Florida. I mean, Florida is, is the heart of the dog racing industry, or at least what remains of this. And yesterday, Florida voters overwhelmingly passed a constitutional amendment, and, and they did it 69% to 31%, which outlaws dog racing. It bans commercial dog racing in, in Florida. And so as a result of this vote, what you have is by January of 2021, all remaining, all, all of the 11 dog tracks in Florida have to be out of business. So it, it's, it's putting an end to that. And again, if you're now down, if you're down to 17 tracks and in the next two or three years, you've got 11 that are going to have to close. That leaves you with six across the rest of the country. I think the industry is going to be history. I, I do. I I know they, they've got a couple dog tracks that remain in Arizona and things like that. But as a general rule, the fact that you, you've seen that this industry that's you know was once was once huge, you know, and was a, a staple of people's entertainment and things like that. Dog racing for people who who like that competitive stuff. It was a lot cheaper to get into than horse racing and things like that. Years and years ago, it's a legendary story in the Wagner family. When dog racing first came to Wisconsin, my brother and I and a friend, we invested in a dog. Right? My, my only defense was that that dog, that dog, that initial $500 investment ended up costing me thousands and thousands of dollars because every time my wife wanted to purchase something and I'd say we couldn't afford it, she would say, well, I'm not the one that spent $500 on a dog. And you know, just, there was just no argument about it at all. But, you know, it, it was this huge industry. People got into it, you know, with both feet, and it, it's just, it's faded. And the fact that you now have this overwhelming vote, you know, taken in Florida, there's just not enough states. There's just not enough interest. And my guess is you're, you're not going to be able to find any functioning dog tracks in the next five or six years. And to tell you the truth, the more I, I learn, you see about the way the industry operates and the fact that you know, the dogs are kept in kennels and stuff for 23 hours a day and things like that. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the worst thing, given the way the industry has developed. But if you take Florida out of the dog racing equation, you're, you're talking about an end an end of this industry. So if, if you used to go to one of those dog tracks in Wisconsin and you've been hoping to find a place to recreate it, 
I don't think it's going to be around anymore because if you're just left the six nationwide, you're not going to have the suppliers. The industry is not going to be able to support itself. The times, they are a-changing. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 254. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.